Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Chris, and I'm here to help with the aid of a show that marks the crossroads of pro wrestling past and future. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, a classic NXT review podcast for all you marks who want to get smarter about wrestling. And smart fans looking for a reason to mark out again. This week, we are pulling you right the fuck over the barricade into the episode of NXT that originally aired on January 1st, 2015. Uh, And frankly, it's your fault for sitting there and staring at us like that. Seriously, this is a podcast. What are you doing? Welcome to episode number 84 of the Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Adrian Neville called out Kevin Owens for being a spiteful, apron power bombing motherfucker, a claim that led Kevin Owens to vindicate him almost to death in the main event. <laughs> this episode, we take a break from the main event scene as the tag team champions, the Lucha Dragons, take on Ty Dillinger and a certain wrestling detective, CJ Parker technically wrestles Baron Corbin for the greater good and the Ascension fight Finn Balor and Hideo Itami again because creative has only ever had two things for the Ascension and the Lucha Dragons are wearing them right now. (laughs) We'll hear all about that in Bob's breakdown. After that, we'll dig into the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. We'll also be handing out the Borance Olivier Awards for commitment to the bit. And after that, Megan Bob will take a shot at predicting next week's twist in the ongoing soap opera of NXT in a segment we call The Next Big Thing. First, though, it's time to check in on Bob's guess from last week and see if their prediction panned out. This is a lot of me saying things. Bob, would you like to say anything? Well, I've already forgotten what I guessed, so could you tell me what I guessed? Don't mind if I do. Bob has zero points right now. Now, we're basically starting over from the cheap pop quiz scoring, although we're going to include those points later in some way. But, like, just so you know... I don't have to get 10, do I? No, we explained this last time. You have to get five. <laughs> you have to get five. <laughs> <sighs> well, see, I don't watch the product, Chris. You have a commentary job on this podcast, and there's no reason. Like, look, keep it fresh. Like, whatever happens, spontaneously <laughs> react. Not only do you not know the finishes of the matches, you also don't know what happened last week. Like, just. Yeah, it's, it's how I roll. You have zero points right now. Last episode, Bob tried to predict which event would happen this week from a list of four options, and they chose that Marcus Louis would return, lurking in full sail like the Phantom of the Opera, driven mad by losing his hair match. That may or may not be one of the three false decoy big things that Bob is going to have to contend with this season. But in any case, it didn't happen this week. As we now know, this week, the next big thing was that one wrestler wanted to end another wrestler's dominant win streak for the, quote, greater good, and gave a pep talk to that effect to the only logical choice to do the job, C.J. Parker. That means that Bob has zero points right now, but they'll get a chance at more at the end of this episode when they guess the next, next big thing. This also means that you have a point. Well, yes, but as you would know if you were present for last episode, which obviously you were not (laughs) in spirit... The way it works for me is I don't gather points. Look, I got my attendance points. I don't know what the fuck you want from me. (laughs) No, I listen, there are many similarities between us. And I do remember the day in high school when I went to English class long enough for attendance. 
and then literally got up on the desk, walked out over other people's desks and left the room to go sit in the courtyard, confident that I had been marked present and no teacher cares enough to mark you absent after they've already marked you present. That's you and I am them and that is fine. But the point is you have zero points. I have no points, but I do have one week that you have not scored a point. And if you guess wrong five weeks in a row, then I get a thing. So I am keeping track of that. But for now, let's jump into Bob's breakdown. Our commentary team for this episode is Rich Brennan, Renee Young, and Alex Riley. That's right. The albatross is back. Oh, <laughs> I know. Can't get enough. High, high in the running for worst commentator who has ever had regular commentary duty. I hate <laughs> Alex Riley's commentary so much. I hate it, but I hate it so much that I feel bad for him in some ways, which is its own thing, I suppose. <laughs> You're so bad at your job that Megan Bob is just sad for you and wants you to like, I don't know, have a nice day because you obviously can't wait at the one thing you're paid to do. Who's good as Iron Horse on Glow, though? Oh, I need to finish watching that. Match one. It's obligatory tag team action as we're reminded that the Lucha Dragons have the titles. I love Lucha stuff. I love it so much. But this feels so Disney-fied that I cannot get excited for this match. Until Jason Jordan walks out with his himbo friend, Ty Dillinger. Are they both himbos? Possibly. But Ty Dillinger is absolutely the... Okay, now I went on a long journey internally. Now, if I was writing it out, I would say himbist. But you can't really say that. So it would have to be himboist, which I don't love. Himbist is clearly better, but you can't say that because the B sounds like a P. Mm. I know this is unfair. It's a joke that works written, but not spoken, which is the worst kind. There's no justice sometimes. Yeah, that's really hard. I know. I know. Dillinger gets to start us off against Kalista, the tinier of the dragons. Dillinger does a chop and the ref does a real. Come on. This is a nice restaurant, guys. Kalisto responds with an arm twisty and a chop that makes Dillinger screech before somersaulting Dillinger over to his own corner, where he crawls backwards in terror that anyone let this Yorkshire Terrier out of the yard. Why did I bother describing this exchange where Dillinger is on his butt speed scooting away with a look of horror on his face? Because when he tags in Jason Jordan and Kalisto springboards at him, Jordan just catches him like it's nothing and then tosses this tiny nerd like one might toss a bale of hay in a Thomas Hardy novel. <laughs> Chris, am I a nerd? I mean, you're some variety of nerd. I'm just, I'm really happy that you found AO3 at some point. This jumpy little bale of hay gets thrown around between Dillinger and Jordan, which allows Dillinger to show off that he's definitely not afraid of Kalisto, which is some character growth from the previous two minutes. We should all be so lucky. They do some real fuck this small dweeb style wrestling. We're all familiar with the school of wrestling. Kalisto gets over to Sin Cara for a tag that might be called hot, if it were not, to Sin Cara. It is a room temperature tag, maybe slightly less than room temperature. It is chambraying. It was in the fridge. It is arriving at room temperature slowly. He also does the worst 
fucking head scissors takedown I've ever seen. Oh. If someone handed me a pair of scissors that look like that, I would say, no thanks. If I wanted to use a spoon to open this bag of chips, I fucking would, pal. <laughs> Although, I'll say, look, Chris, look at you in the fucking eyes. Uh-huh. If we get 10 more Patreon supporters, I will film myself trying to open a bag of chips with a spoon. Oh, that is... I'll do a bad job. Is that worth creating 10 sock puppets and spending 10 good dollars to see? <laughs> for me, maybe. For someone, definitely. Everybody get on this. I will film it. I'll film it on Zoom. If you all want to vote on what kind of chips, but look, if, if we want to get mileage out of this, it's got to be those hearty, like, probably like a kettle chip where it's like one of those bags that you do have to use scissors to open. Not your Lay's. Like a mere child could take out a Lay's. No, no, this is a bag that means business. I need, I'm going to have to come at this thing. And it needs to be like something you like, like a salt and vinegar, like a something. Oh, yeah, salt and vinegar. Yeah. As you go, you're getting more frustrated. You're losing focus. You know what? I'll get extremely high, so I'm starving as it's happening. Jesus Christ, we're less than one match into this. Bob, please, okay. please continue. Right. The, okay. Okay. I, so, Sinkara beats up both these jocks in a way that you would beat up jocks if it was sort of your nine to five. Sinkara wrestles like it is, like it's a paycheck, which makes me wonder if pro wrestling is your paycheck. If you have chosen this as your paycheck, what in the fuck is his passion? He's like, well, you know, I'm just wrestling to pay the bills. My true passion is, Chris, what is Sinkara's true passion that he is just like, you know, killing time, making a buck, doing this? Okay, so Mexican listeners will have to help me here because my vision for this is I've heard at least one trainer talk about like, if you're going to get into pro wrestling, do anything else first, like any fighting style helps except Aikido. Don't do Aikido because it's going to teach you to fall in a way that's counter to the way that you want to fall in pro wrestling. Sinkara, if you know his history, he's had a lot of problems in pro wrestling. I believe he came from a tradition that probably was a counter to what wrestling is supposed to be. I believe that Sinkara wears a mask because in his real life, he is whoever the Mexican Mr. Bean is. I think he's on, he's out there on Univision <laughs> putting his head into whole turkeys crashing through plate glass windows, doing physical comedy and taking mm-hmm. prop balls. That's probably what he's really about. And at a certain point, he was like, I know how to fall without getting hurt. Let me get into wrestling. And then, you know, life kind of took over as it has a tendency of doing. But his real passion has always been beaning. Wow. Beaning, huh? Right, right, right. Doing Mr. Bean material. Naturally. You're out there beaning. Like sometimes on street corners at first, and then eventually, hopefully, you get a contract. <laughs> And imagine that your nine to five is that you're out there beaning hardcore and then you come into NXT. You you make it to full sale. You know, you get the turkey off your head in the locker room. You hurriedly put on your mask. You go out there. You do a head scissors. Of course, you fall on your fucking ass. Like, that's that's your job, right? It's true. It's true. That's my guess. I think whoever is like the Mexican equivalent of Mr. Bean, that is Sinkara's secret identity. Whoever this Sinkara is. I don't know which Sinkara this is. Okay. Okay. I don't know. He feels like a like a very tired uncle in some ways. Who's like, oh my god, it's the end of this fucking six hour children's birthday party. <laughs> and like, like I love all of my little nieces and nephews so much, but this is hour six, 
and they are now in the sugar crash phase, I want to go home and lay down and die. <laughs> Although I should say, if you do go look at anything Sinkata does, he is 10,000 times better than a lot of the people <laughs> wrestling in terms of his effortless athleticism. Just can do shit. But he doesn't care that he's doing it. And that's the problem, which is a weird thing to see. Yes, he's the magician who steps on stage, matter of factly sits down a top hat, pulls a rabbit out of it, and then walks off stage. Yeah, and you're like, well, that is exactly what you said you were going to do, isn't it? However, I will say, he did do a nice thing. Like, I mean, it was, not, it was a move I hadn't seen before. And he did it, again, the effortless, like, yeah, this is just a thing I can fucking do, and the rest of you nerds won't do it. Here, watch me do it. He closes out the match. By smashing Dillinger with a sunset bomb, which is to say, like, he 69s him off the top rope, flattening Dillinger to his back and pinning him for three. That's pretty fucking cool. It's cool. I wish I could be that cool at a thing that I didn't care about. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I know. I can't shit on anything without also being nice about it. I know. You're new here. I'm sorry. No, no. It's as you identified last time, it is the opposite of my problem. I, I'm sure that by the end of the season, we'll both have grown a lot and we'll... Oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna, don't worry, I'm gonna try and, uh, I'm gonna try and make sure he just wants the growing. Don't worry. And then the villains run in to attack the Lucha Dragons. We don't get to see a lot of these in NXT, so it felt like a little bit of a treat. I was like, extracurricular violence, yay! <laughs> and of course, Jason Jordan, wrestling detective. <laughs> January in full sail. The Christmas parties were over. The clip show had aired. We were back at the grind. They say you're supposed to keep the spirit of Christmas alive in your heart all year round, but the only thing in my heart was a framed picture of the bourbon I kept in my desk drawer. I missed her. I knew we'd be together again soon. We'd be together a hell of a lot sooner if Ty could keep it together and finish a match. We'd already lost against the Lucha Dragons a few weeks back, and here we were again being fed to these pint-sized lizards. Ty had sworn up and down he had a game plan. Would have been nice to know it wasn't so much a game plan as an IOU. But there was something about him. I couldn't stay mad for too long. To be honest, neither could the crowd. He was smearing Kalisto into the mat and they were chanting for Ty. Obviously, part of me felt the bitterness that comes with being overlooked. Always intercontinental champion, never world heavyweight, as they say. But a much bigger part of me thought, what in the goddamned fuck is it about Ty Dillinger? Sure, the Lucha Dragons had my attention, and I wasn't taking my eyes off that Kalisto guy, but a much bigger mystery was unfolding right under my nose. Ty Dillinger was perhaps, maybe, possibly getting over, and I wanted to know why. Saxophone. Wow, wow. Truly a, like, intriguing mystery, and I don't mean that as a burn on Ty Dillinger, who was at one time known to bring out hot chocolate to fans waiting for the show in cold weather. <gasps> so here's a man with something inside. I'm not saying that it's, that it's for no reason. I'm just like, I'm rooting for Jason Jordan and figuring this out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I do have a fondness for him. He doesn't do much in AEW these days, but he was doing some dumb shit with Wardlow for a minute. <laughs> When he and Wardlow were, like, employed by MJF for some goddamn reason. But Wardlow was fucking around and, like, trying to get out of his contract with MJF, blah, 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 blah. And they had Ty Dillinger at Sean Spears at AEW. 
was like there to kind of like help him. And MJF was like, yeah, no, I just, I just want him to hang out with you. Like, I just want to make, you know, be there to, you know, watch out for you. He's your accountability buddy. <laughs> that phrase has proliferated in our family, despite the fact that we're like, fuck this storyline, fuck these people, but also <laughs> accountability buddy. That's not bad, is it? That's pretty good. I know. Sometimes whenever you're like, am I going to remember to take a shower today? I should probably text somebody <laughs> to make sure that I follow through on that bold claim. <laughs> we made a lot of promises in this campaign. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> Backstage, CJ Parker is getting ready for a match with Baron Corbin. Bull Dempsey wants to come loiter by the ketchup and mustard colored lockers and offer some infuriatingly obtuse advice to Parker. It's not about beating Baron Corbin. It's about humiliating Baron Corbin. Parker's response is, my dude, I don't know if you are aware of how our workplace functions. Dempsey counters, it's not about Corbin or you or me. It's about the greater good. The greater good. Yes, we were all thinking about Hot Fuzz. No, I don't know what Dempsey is on about. He is very hairy, though. That's nice. It's weird because when Dempsey walks up, he's wearing a singlet. His singlet with like... The very deep you. Yeah, and also like you would think he would wear the kind that ends in trunks, but he wears the kind that ends in like the briefs cut. It's just like... Yeah. It makes him look like Baby Huey a little bit. Yeah, it's not a good look. But within the fiction of the show, these are separate weeks, right? They refer to them as... So like he doesn't have a match tonight within the fiction. So it's weird that he walks up to CJ Parker in a singlet. And then we see him later at ringside in a jacket. I guess he just came to work. There's no match. He just came to watch someone else's match and just like decided to put on the singlet. You know, it never occurs to me to wonder why wrestlers are wearing what they're wearing. So it's like the choices they make are so bizarre <laughs> in terms of clothing that it's like, whatever. <laughs> You could be doing it for any reason under the sun, and I would not begin to be able to guess why. That's fair enough. That's true. At it's the Royal Rumble coming up. So now, of course, obviously, we're going to do a special weird choices about WWE pay-per-views. If you don't know what weird choices is, don't worry about it. <laughs> Find out later. It'll be a nightmare. But in the meantime, Chris, would you like to talk about your own feelings about the Royal Rumble slash the Royal Mumble? <laughs> And why it is also the cutest fucking pay-per-view ever. Uh, Talk about your fucking adorable child. I will. My daughter, Violetta, enjoys a Royal Rumble, which she sometimes used to call a Royal Mumble. She would sometimes <laughs> play Royal Mumble and she would bring in all of her stuffed animal friends onto the bed and then jump up on the bed and throw them all off one at a time. And then she would win the Royal Mumble. And uh, she also will watch a Royal Rumble match with me. In fact, there was a time when I moved into the place I currently live in. My wife had to go like back and forth. It was a whole thing. But I ended up with my daughter in our new house without much to do for an extended period of time. And fortunately, it was a royaliest of Rumbles seasons over on the New Legacy Twitch channel. New Legacy Inc., for those who don't know, is a big like they play wrestling games. And like every other year, they do a big like a rumble thon. So it's either like a full 24 hour stream or it's like, oh, Jesus. Last year, it was that they did one Royal Rumble every day of January. And then they had the winners of all the rumbles in the royaliest of rumbles on the last day of January. 
<laughs> and Violetta watched that with me as we like, you know, did our like special routine because mom wasn't home. So there's a very special sentimental connection to me to the Royal Rumble as like my daughter's favorite kind of match. And also, let me just say, cute kid shit aside, we will always owe a debt to Pat Patterson for having invented probably the best wrestling match format ever yeah. in the Royal Rumble. That man was a wrestling genius. And the Royal Rumble is always the highlight of the wrestling year. Fuck WrestleMania. I know. It's like, I get that Easter is like, you know, the one you're supposed to be hyped about. Fuck Easter. It is about Christmas. Mm -hmm. No, the Royal Rumble is a million times (laughs) better than WrestleMania. I am sorry. It is the goddamn truth. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Women's action. The princess of Staten Island (laughs) is here to wrestle. And she brought her two dummies with her. But the audience only cares about one thing. Blue pants. Blue pants, blue pants, blue pants. Blue pants gets a bit of a talking up entrance from Cass. And that was very sweet. I did appreciate that. She enters as blue and as covered in pants as she always is. It is not really fair. Her outfit is very Kitty Pride. It's super cute. Renee sort of alludes to this on commentary with an X-Men joke, which I didn't get, but I did know it was an X-Men reference. I mean, she said Magneto, so it was a bit of a giveaway, but I still felt cool for knowing. Mm. I know. The audience is hyped for this. Carmella is being as mean as you'd hope, but not rushing to destroy blue pants. Enzo gets to the apron to tell Carmella to, like, get stuck in there, show blue pants some violence. Carmella turns to tell Enzo to fuck off. And then when she turns her attention back to the ring, she's pulled into a small package, tangle of limbs, and pinned for three, giving Blue Pants the victory. Blue Pants has won. Good job, Indigo Trousers. You're awesome. Carmella's furious at Enzo and might murder him, so everything is coming up, Bob. (laughs) Add True Giants. It is a DVD of just huge wrestlers. Things like three hours, maybe. It's a lot. They pitch it in a way that is somewhere between freak show and kink. Hold on. Huge dudes. 400, 500, 600 pounds. Size 18 shoes. Hands the size of your face. And also they wrestle. I did not know how I was supposed to react to this. I was like, am I supposed to watch this for the wrestling? Or are you you just like showing me some weird dudes? (laughs) Like, what are we? (laughs) Chris, is this a thing for much older wrestling fans who are like, ah, for the days of giant haystacks? I felt like somebody was coming up to me with a porn DVD. And I was like, uh, what? I feel like we're getting different things out of this and I don't know what's happening. I got the same vibe from it. It's a weird way to market it because there's no, okay, yes, wrestling has a history of, you know. Fetishizing interesting bodies. Well, and also just like there are lots of big wrestlers, so of course, but categorizing them that way is weird. It's like chicks with big tits who type fast, like... On a sliding scale, I'll bet you that the people who are into this are more into big tits than into typing, probably. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, like I have no other. So you feel like maybe they're just into the giant part, not the wrestling part. You think the wrestling part is incidental. They're like not as invested in the skill set. Well, wrestling is a great way to show off 
your giantness. Oh, just like typing. Excellent way to show off your big tits. I mean, the, look, the metaphor is not perfect. I like running to catch a bus, I think would be the better analogy. But like mm. the. Oh, fuck running to catch a bus. Do anything. Be late. <laughs> We've talked before, I think mainly off mic about like jobber fetishes. Mm -hmm. The thing that Yokozuna used to do where like, I think they've said that like one of the two things you got paid more for for a jobber, you know, one was like getting your hair cut by Brutus Beefcake and another one was taking the bonsai drop because Yokozuna would just straight up sit down on you if you were not a celebrity. Oh, shit. That would hurt. Like if you're not a star pro wrestler, he would shoot just like sit down on you. Oof. I feel like if you're into big dudes and you're into like big dudes being big in an assertive way, you probably want to see mm. Yokozuna sit on a jobber. So maybe yeah. the wrestling does add value as compared to just like, you know, a DVD full of like videos of big men being big. I just feel like there's something weird about the fact that two of them are not active wrestlers necessarily, but sort of still involved in the industry, Mark Henry and Paul White. And to have them, it's like, hey, we're making a fetishist DVD. Would you do some talking head shit for it? And it's like, uh, uh I mean, you do sign my paycheck, so I guess so. Yeah. Like, that's a wild day at work. I mean, obviously, every day is a wild day at work when you work for WWE. But mm. what I hope you're talking about talking head things. I hope they have all those just like a regular WWE DVD, but they're all shot low angle. I think that would be fantastic. That way you feel so small as the viewer. Yeah, let's, this is like very much like giantess clips for sale style <laughs> talking heads. It's exactly what one wants from the big show. <laughs> All right, match three. C.J. Parker loses to Baron Corbin in under 40 seconds. Bull Dempsey is there to perv on the whole thing. All those precious few seconds of it. Corbin is pissed. Is Dempsey just going to perv? Are you going to stand there all day looking scared? Like, this is what Baron Corbin says. At that point, Neil, like, busted in at this point to say, or are you going to kiss me? And I was like, actually, that is very much the tone of what <laughs> this is going on. Now... Does Corbin drag Dempsey over the barricade and rough him up? Yes. But look, have we not all made fun of someone we wanted to hold hands with? This is the universal language. Sometimes you make a man tap out in the middle of the ring because you just need to look into his eyes. And that's what we're seeing here. Beautiful. It is. We'll talk about this later for sure. Neil brought up a crucial question I, I don't have an answer to. The one person screaming loudly in the audience. <laughs> they don't get to scream a lot because Baron Corbin ain't on the screen for too long but it's just like ah! they're not in the front row either this person is like in the back but yeah just a loud feminine screech periodically for Baron Corbin is this his mother a family member a girlfriend is this the scream of somebody who's just like I'm hoping to fuck Baron Corbin but there's a scream bar that I have to fill up first <laughs> that the rest of us can't see but he's they're like, no, I'm going to put in all the screams. And then at a certain point, Baron Corbin's going to be like, you, I'm going to take you away on my fucking motorcycle in the rain. It's very dangerous. Don't do that. Your thoughts on the psychology of that one enthusiastic fan? Well, first of all, I definitely want to play this like GTA minigame. I want to sit in the crowd and scream until I fill up the scream bar and then they like drive me away on their motorcycle and, and fuck me. I think that would be a good time. <laughs> you know what? There may have been one feminine voice that was louder than the others but it sounds to me like 
Baron Corbin is getting a full sale university scale like girl pop, which is a well-known phenomenon. Okay. Okay. You know, like sometimes uh, for whatever reason, some people get it like Jeff Hardy gets it. But for whatever reason. No. What? It's like. I mean, I guess he's got sexy rat man vibes. Yeah. Like I can't explain it, but some people when they come out, the pop is there and it's like all high pitched squealing. Jeff Hardy's sweat is going to smell disgusting because the drugs. <laughs> I'm just being practical here. An interesting observation. The way that some people look at wrestling, and I, I don't think these are all like mark marks. I think mm. that if you think of the way that a very normative woman would look at like the way that a Chippendales dancer dresses, it's like that's not like hot, hot. It's not like normal life hot. It's like, yeah, you're so ridiculous hot. Mm. I can easily see a contingent of high-pitched women feeling that way about Baron Corbin's shtick and feeling like, okay. oh, yeah, like, grimace while you fuck me, you dumbass. Like, yeah, Neil did sort of stop me as I was rewatching it and just was like, listening to screams and was like, do you think he's hot? And I sort of had to stop and go, I don't know. I don't think so. And all I could think of was like, well, he does have the cold, dead eyes of a shark. That's pretty hot. <laughs> Probably not a fan of uh, Happy Corbin then, right? That's a downgrade for you? I think I've seen bits of Happy Corbin, and that's fine too, because he's still, you know, th look, those shark eyes are, they're still there. Backstage! Daddy. Daddy says Sami Zayn will be back soon, so that's good. I mean, well, he's going to be back to let us know how injured he is. So hopefully only some injureds. And then a bland, tanned white man enters the shot. His shirt says, better than perfect. Bold claim there, Jello Salad. <laughs> he bothered Regal on the clip show, which we did not cover. But Regal never got back to him. So he's like a real, you never return my calls, babe. Why? Or worse, I left my resume like you said. Why have you not gotten <laughs> back to me with a job offer? And you're like, oh, Jesus, fuck. He's here because he's done some stuff on the main roster. You know, he he goes over his fucking resume, but he wants to rejuvenate his career. So he's coming to NXT. Regal, give me a match. Regal is, looks like he's basically going, I would like to end this conversation. So perfectly happy to hand something over. So this is done. Offers him Hideo Itami. Tremendous. That's done. This guy versus Hideo Itami. I love that the energy of this, because Regal, like, very often played as an intimidating figure, even in his old age, right? Like, even as an authority figure, even as a non-wrestler, very often played intimidating. He shuts up and lets Curtis Axel talk. And is nothing but polite to him. And the energy is so much like a teacher thinking like, well, we don't beat up children, but perhaps you should go play with this fellow child. <laughs> <laughs> Look. I am a much kinder teacher than Regal is, but yes, there is an element of going like somebody will come at you with a certain amount of energy and you're like, from my vantage point, I'm going to make a considered choice about how I will react to this wild breach of the social contract <laughs> that I have just been like slapped with in the ring. Charlotte is getting interviewed by Devin because she's beaten every woman on the roster. So who the frickle frackle is she going to fight now? She acknowledges that Sasha was tough, even if, you know, Charlotte did beat her twice. Sasha's music hits. She and Becky are going to give Charlotte the beatdown of a lifetime. 
And then Natty's music hits. <laughs> and Natty just calmly walks to the ring, chasing off Sasha and Becky. I do like to see her do a wrestle, so I am happy about it. Even though I'm like, Natty and Charlotte wrestled not that many pay-per-views ago, but okay. I know. There's, <laughs> it makes you think there's a fucking like shortage of Whitman wrestlers as though that's a thing. It's like, well, you know, you know, they just can't keep them in stock. It's like, no, that's not what it is. They just don't fucking want to hire more of them and put time and energy into that thing. But okay, fine. It's getting better. I know. I know it's going to get better. I don't even have Oscar yet. Video. A blurry Sami Zayn is in snowy Canada. His hair is fluffy. He's outside and wearing a jacket. Regal has asked him to send in some video comments for the audience. Sammy emotes. Sammy feels his way through this little video update. He knows people want to hear about, you know, what he feels about everything that's happened, what he thinks about it, but he doesn't know what to think. The person he was supposed to trust, dot, dot, dot. He's not sure what he wants to say just yet, but he'll be back and he'll say it to everyone, including his ex-boyfriend real soon. He doesn't say ex-boyfriend, but like, obviously. Main event! My good vampire lads. They're invited to the ring, which is how they know that it's safe to enter. Next, Hideo Itami and Finn Balor, who still enter separately because they are singles wrestlers working together to beat up my undead sons. I will say, Finn Balor's entrance, even at this stage. I know he's been in the Indies a while, I know, but oh my god, nobody has a better time to entrance than Finn Balor. Effortless timing. I'm like, one day in my life I want to do something that cool. <laughs> that would be fucking incredible. Anybody with a modicum of skill could do perfect timing in that sense, like in the set, like yeah. by the clock, but to have the balletic presentation to make that yes. timing read correctly, Finn Balor is something special for sure. I have a lot of questions about what kind of training he got because he is very balletic. And I'm like, mm, you had some unconventional training because he does not move like somebody who only has you know, mixed martial arts or only has wrestling training. It's like, you definitely studied something involving dance, something like that. Maybe I'm like, maybe if you went hardcore on yoga, I could see it like just a level of body control that is not valued in those other things in the way that it is in those. <laughs> We get a video from our evolution of Hideo Itami reacting to the demon. Itami makes a tremendous, like, pantomime face. Asks Finn if something has changed. And here, you know, Finn's in all of his demon makeup. And the demon replies, Finn has risen. Which is usually what they put outside on the church marquee at Easter. <laughs> but I was like, very bold claim there, buddy. But I was like, oh, Finn has risen. It does have a nice ring to it. I would wear that on a t-shirt. <laughs> Needless to say, the extremely overqualified indie wrestlers kick absolute ass and wreck shop on the Ascension immediately. Victor ends up crumpled and kicked to shit as he's traded back and forth. He's going to have to drain so many frat boys to replenish after this. Get those electrolytes. 
Blood probably does. I know blood does have a lot of electrolytes in it. That's why we need electrolytes, isn't it? That in our brains. Sorry, I just remembered a science fun fact. <laughs> the camera doesn't show Connor, but I can feel his worry for his vampiric lover. He looks at the crowd in betrayal when they chant for Finn or Hideo. He actually does. Like, you can't see his face, but you can see his body language. He's looking at the crowd like, oh, gasp. Did y'all mean nothing to you? Exactly. It's like, oh my God, you know, we gave everything to you. Finn jumps to the apron and kicks Connor, who unconvincingly deflates onto the middle rope to show that he's a team player in this whole match. <laughs> he had to do like a real, oh, oh no, I've been somewhat kicked. <laughs> All right. Smackdown is moving to Thursday. The ad has, you know, all of the Smackdown people in a traditional psychologist's office with a leather couch and Rorschach tests. It's pretty insensitive, but of a piece. Certainly not more insensitive than some of the other shit they pulled. Each of the stars says that what they see on this Rorschach test is Thursday. Okay, two things. They cut to the waiting room. There's some people in it. Some of them I recognize, some of them I don't. Who in the fuck is the demon yeti in the waiting room? I think that you're referring to El Torito. You know what? You've got bullhorns on this person. Yep, I bet you're right. Yes. And then the final scene of the commercial, Dean Ambrose closing the door on this fucking psychologist going like, we'll see you on Thursday, yes? <laughs> and I was like, why are you doing a bit? Is this a thing you're doing on the on the product? Is this just Dean Ambrose having a weird day at work? Was this directors who were like, yeah, Dean Ambrose is the kind of person who would do this? What, <laughs> what are we doing? I don't know. What's he doing a Russian accent sometimes? My guess is, because I was watching the product at this time and I don't remember a Russian accent being part of his bit. He doesn't do a bad one. I think maybe he was shooting for Austrian. Oh, mm, okay, well. Yeah, I miss there, but I wonder if he was trying to do like the, you know, the oh, cartoon Sigmund Freud. Freud. Oh, yeah. Eh, you know what? It was cute Russian accent. You know what? I appreciated it. <laughs> you, you did adorably. <laughs> OK, add Dean Ambrose and Bray Wyatt in an ambulance match. Chris, what in the goddamn fuck is an ambulance match? You know, I didn't bother to look this up because I did watch. As I recall, I did watch this match. I think it's just as simple as you put somebody in an ambulance. It's part of a whole broad category of wrestling matches. Anything that a person can be put into, they can be wrestled into. And anything that a person can be wrestled into can be the basis for a gimmick match. Oh! I would say the ambulance match, a particularly poor choice, because literally just like leaving someone on the ground is more threatening to them than putting them into an ambulance to end a match. Like, in case they're hurt, everything is in place. Everybody's ready to go. The trainer doesn't even have to run to the ring. This is not like a tables match. This is like a pile of pillows match. This is like <laughs> a power bomb onto a trampoline match. The ambulance match makes no sense to me, although I know that the ambulance has a role in the narrative of wrestling as like in the effort to find a space that it is still transgressive to wrestle someone in. The ambulance has emerged as like, this is what we do. Someone gets wheeled into the ambulance and the crowd is like, oh, and then someone goes and like rips open the ambulance doors, like pulls them out of the ambulance and keeps beating them up while they're on a stretcher. But that's not how this match works. So what can I tell you? I was completely imagining that the entire match took place inside the ambulance. They just closed the doors. <laughs> and then they were just like, 
well, we'll cut back to that later when it's over. And I was like, you goddamn geniuses. Like, <laughs> they just get to have a night off and come out, like, with their clothes ripped and some blood on them and go, oh, what a match we had. Listen, let's say there's a tag team that has to break up, but they're being forced by, like, a draft or something. They're being broken up, but they haven't turned on each other. It's being done forcibly. Mm -hmm. They each want to pursue their own solo thing. A great match would be a match based on the possibly apocryphal thing that you had to do to like get into special forces of some kind, like maybe Green Berets, where like, I think traditionally it was a dog, but they changed it to a goat. You have to like shoot it and then go over and like mm. take the bullet out. Jesus Christ. Where you have to like beat your tag team partner unconscious and then resuscitate them <laughs> to like show that you really have like the steel, like the conviction. Oh my God. I mean, yeah, you know, do you have it in you? And then the match has a loving end. That's true. Like, because you beat them up, but that's not the end of the match. The end of the match is when they regain consciousness. And they're like... Oh, I mean, yeah, I would <laughs> I'd be like, no, this is still fix it, Vic. This is fine. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if Kevin did that to Sammy, I'd be like, well, see, they still love each other. So it's fine that El Generico is bleeding everywhere. He would be trying to act like he didn't love him and he was just bringing him back to win the match. But he obviously would really be concerned so I know it would be perfect. Back from commercial, Connor is in the match and he is big enough vampire to do some damage with a chin lock. You bastard. If you're wondering what else they do to Finn, it's a lot of stuff you'd expect. Picking him up, then dropping him. I'm watching him lay there. They do try to pin him now and again, but really it's about the love of picking up a man and dropping him. The love of the game, you know. The momentum of the match shifts and now it's Hideo Itami and Victor. Victor can't keep up. Do not dish the picking up a man and dropping him if you cannot take it. Connor refuses to stand for this, though, and tries to get involved only to get the Mickey tractor from Finn Balor, which is what my brother and sister-in-law call the sling blade, and thus what I call the sling blade. <laughs> if you're wondering what a sling blade is, imagine you garrot somebody with your arm but sort of swing yourself around them in the process. Like, okay, so when you're a kid and you're waiting for the bus, you like grab on the stop sign or whatever, you sort of, you know, spin around it. Mm -hmm. It's that. But someone's throat. And you're probably not carrying your saxophone case with you. Pushed back out of the ring with that Mickey tractor, Connor is no longer a threat, although Finn Balor still does the jumping stompies on him just in case. In the ring, Itami kicks Victor extra and pins him for the win. Tragic. Chris, I need to know, what's the flow chart for, are these two singles wrestlers going to beat this dedicated tag team? I know entering together gives you the power up, but these two don't and they still have the magic. So there are other factors at play here. What's going on? <sighs> I feel trite even discussing this, but it just is true <laughs> that like a good tag team should beat good singles wrestlers. The problem is okay. it's very rare for tag teams to be like in a proper main event in terms of like what the caliber of the wrestler is. And I think partly that has to do with old pro wrestling stuff about how people are paid because mm -hmm. i know i've heard complaints from people who would work the indies who would who would work territories in the old days that like basically the act would get paid and so if your act is a tag team then you got to split the money and like i presumably you have to split your merch sales and all that stuff and so if you're a certain level of popular then you want to get out of your tag team and go into singles then you're making all your money not half of your money <laughs> and as a result i'm sorry hmm <laughs> like what a weird fucking i mean i get that it's in the context of a workplace and it's very different <laughs> but i was imagining like 
the world in which you're like, well, I'm going to like get into this relationship, like hoping to get over, but with like just the world at large. And then whenever I get popular enough, (laughs) I'm just like going to go on my singles run and everybody's going to be like, wow. (laughs) <laughs> Look at them do laundry. <laughs> the fuck you do in life. That's how it should work in real life. If you're single, then you should get paid double for sure. Oh, fuck yeah. I think that that has led to a history of the pro wrestling business where bigger stars tend to be singles and smaller time stars tend to be in tag teams. And bigger stars are always going to be the ones who like need to, you know, keep their cred versus tag teams. So it it always works out this way. Like even like people in the same place in the card, if you're like a singles wrestler in about the same place in the card as a tag team, you and another singles wrestler are probably going to go over that tag team, which is stupid. Within the fiction, it doesn't make any sense. And people always complain about this, but it's always the way that it is. The way to tell, I think, more than like the magnitude of the star or anything like that or like what division they're in is, is there a storyline? Because like Mm. Hideo Itami and Finn Balor have a connection. They have a relationship. And it's very important. All of this changes if we're going into a tournament. Because a tournament is like on like the big bulletin board of like all the angles in the company. The tournament is like the hub of that where everything intersects. And if two singles wrestlers who don't normally tag together are tagging together in a tournament, that is almost certainly because those two are going to be spun out into a feud. Ah, yeah. They're going to keep their okay. heat because one of them is going to cost the other the match and blah, blah, blah. But like, yeah, in a situation like this, no question, Balor and Itami go over the Ascension. I hate it, but no doubt. I love the Ascension. They deserve better. Well, listen, let's pretend that it's 2015 and wish them the brightest of futures. <laughs> I think they're on the Indies now having an okay time. Thank you for that breakdown, Bob. What did you think about this episode overall? It was weird how modern it felt. Hmm. This was the first one that I was like, oh, this is what like NXT was like in 2021. Hmm. I mean, the baby version of it, but still. Interesting. Like the story beats and stuff were very similar. And so I was like, what? What's happening? Huh. That's fascinating because a lot of stuff in NXT always strikes me as like not old fashioned, but like it is very much the core of what wrestling does a lot of the time. And none of this particularly strikes me as like an innovation, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if the modern product shares a lot of things in common with it. I think this was a cleaner, more holistic version Hmm. of it. It's not as like, well, look. These are the course objectives. No, this is not a very, you know, complete curriculum, but you're getting everything you need. Okay, (laughs) that makes sense. Like a little bit less shaggy makes a lot of sense because this is like coming out of maybe arguably the takeover that kind of cemented NXT as kind of its own brand. Like, I think the last takeover marks the point when you could see that NXT was definitely something more than developmental. Hey, Chris, Mm what do you think of the episode? It was fine. Okay. Nothing super exciting. I think you can see the disparity in interest level between the main event and the other parts of the card from this, because like without big things happening between Neville, Sammy, Owens, and then with like Balor and Tommy tied up in this, this thing with the Ascension, that's kind of like zero drama. It's a redo of TakeOver. What's left to draw your interest and like make you pay attention doesn't quite do that job. It's not bad. It's just like 
this is like maybe an era of NXT where part of the show is definitely better than the other part. It's very noticeable. I do appreciate that the audience is there for it regardless is going, well, we'll have our own fun. Like, I know that this is the movie that you're showing, but we brought coloring books and it's fine. <laughs> like, yes, Blue Pants. Yes, definitely. Blue Pants was a highlight. We'll talk about that. Oh, yeah. And in fact, we're going to talk about Blue Pants right now. It is time to discuss the sights, sounds, and feels of pro wrestling. Bob, what did your elf eyes see? Natty's arrival, because I finally fucking figured out what it is. Mm. Natty has big MILF energy. Hmm. She's not a MILF, but she has MILF energy. Interesting. There is something at all times low-key maternal about her, even it is very fucky. Yeah, I see what you mean. I don't know if I would articulate it in the same way, but no, because you're a classy motherfucker. Very much so. I, I think I was going to make like a biological comparison. You know how axolotls have like another life phase that they don't go into? Uh, faintly aware of this. Yes. It's like Natalia is, for whatever reason, is not evolving into like the middle age. She's not becoming like an actual MILF, but she's keeping her like, as you say, like fucky like mid-20s vibe and it's just like getting mm -hmm. to milf age and that's a very distinct thing but it doesn't read as cougar it reads milfy yeah yeah i get that because she's not gonna like fuck you and throw you in the trash she has like cookies and milk yeah yeah totally it's like some people are cat ladies and in the same way some people become like boy ladies yeah that's fine like i'm into that yeah no it's a good energy you know we can talk about this more in detail on your other podcast, but <laughs> if you want to really get into like the MILF versus Cougar, like if you really want to get into these terms, Hard Choices is the place. But suffice it to say, I'm picking up what you're putting down about Natalia. All right, Chris, what did your elf I see? I actually have that ad for WWE True Giants because the way it's presented and everything, as you were saying, is so porny oh, yeah. that like you rarely see that acknowledged that part of the fan base of wrestling. And I found it fascinating to see almost an open plea to like, hey, if you're watching wrestling because you like to see big, big male bodies, then uh, can we interest you in just like a DVD of that? Just straight up. Yeah. Yeah. Just like Haystacks Calhoun. Like, does that do anything for you? How about Yokozuna? Giant shoot Samoan work Japanese man, whatever part of that you are into. Yeah. I think we need to put a link to this or embed it on the Patreon because truly I know that you were listening to the two of us and going like, yeah, right. It can't possibly be like that. You are going to watch this 30 seconds, just 30 fucking seconds or so. And you are going to go, why are they trying to make me horny for the size of this man's hands? Like what's <laughs> happening? I'm imagining an alternate reality where like teenage girls are like sitting on the floor of the room at a sleepover and everybody's like, I like Vader. And the other one's like, I like Bam Bam, you know, like where this is normative. <laughs> Bob, what did your Vulcan ears hear? All right. Well, it is an Enzo one, but this one connected with my heart in a deep way. Since the last time we have seen Blue Pants, she met up with Steve and has since gotten a blues clue. <laughs> and I look for a very long time in high school. One of the prides of my sartorial collection 
was a Blue's Clues hoodie that was the color of blue, had a little graphic of blue on it, and had blue ears on it that also had the spots that are on Blue's ears. Mm. And I would wear it a lot. (laughs) And... I miss that hoodie so fucking much. (laughs) I think about that hoodie a lot and uh, pine for it. I also did go through a brief period during high school where the Nick Jr. shows were very soothing to me. And I was like, well, the pacing of Blue's Clues could be a lot better, but I like the tone a lot. This is about my speed. (laughs) That's right, Salt and Pepper. What do you have to say about where you think the mail has gone? <laughs> I do still remember the mail song. Yeah, of course. I mean, that was not like yeah. a childhood show for me, but I know the mail song naturally. Oh, yeah. I mean, we're human beings. Chris, what did your Vulcan ears hear? I heard the same reference from Renee that you did, uh, the reference to X-Men. Oddly enough, Charles Xavier quote, even though... Oh, really? Yeah, even though Blue Pants is cosplaying as Kitty Pride, and Kitty Pride famously thinks Professor Xavier is a jerk. Nonetheless, she went for a Professor X quote. I don't really know the significance. I looked it up and I saw that it like it happened when Xavier like took control of Magneto and had Magneto move his own satellite like far away from Earth or something like that. But it wasn't like a landmark moment to my knowledge. Professor X is a fucked up motherfucker. He is. So one of these days we'll talk about comic books on a podcast. I have complicated Professor X feelings. Professor X apologist here. No, it's okay. We don't have to go into it. I just did a drive-by. Move on. It's really an essential podcast skill for you. The ability to cut me off before I start talking. And I really appreciate how good you've gotten at it. It's weird to me that Leva Bates, who is like, that's what we know this wrestler by when she's not being blue pants in NXT. It's weird that she pulled out that quote or that somebody did. I assume it was her because it doesn't really have anything to do with Kitty Pride, And I wonder if that is just like pulling out something that is a deep enough cut to prove that you're like a legit fan. Or if it's one of those cases where like, this is the one comic book that she owns, like a real like X-Men comic book. I don't know where it came from. I'm very curious and I'll, I'll, I guess I'll never know. But yeah, that stuck out to me as like, what a weird pull. Bob, what did your human heart feel? Sammy's fluffy hair. Mm. Yeah, you get it. It's because normally when you see the wrestlers, even whenever they're, not wrestling they're obviously still doing shtick and this was a very deliberate representation of himself that's like no this is me at home this is me as like the real Sami Zayn Mm -hmm. like obviously that's still a character but it felt so much more vulnerable in just seeing him with this you know, he's not styled. He's not put together. He's just outside in his fucking North Face jacket or whatever, trying to stay warm with his fluffy hair. There was something very unscripted about it. And that felt so good to see something like that from Sammy. And the hair felt like a big part of that to me, just because it was, you know, normally when I see wrestlers, even when their hair's a mess, it's like a presentational mess. Mm-hmm. This was just like, oh, well, I'm just this is just between you and me. So like, you know, it doesn't matter. That was lovely. I agree. I like that promo. I think if I recall correctly, this was for like practical reasons, like maybe there was a travel issue. But I agree with you completely. It is like seeing him at home. And that's great because that's exactly what you want here. I think especially for somebody like Sammy, for him to have 
the reaction that like, I'd love to be able to perform for you, but like this was a big enough deal that I just can't right now. But like, don't worry, I'll be back. That's just the right reaction to what Owens did to him. Chris, what did your human heart feel? This is not fair, but in the interaction, in like the fight between Bull Dempsey and Baron Corbin, what I felt above all was like the desire for Bull Dempsey to be Eddie Kingston. Like, I know. not that I think Eddie Kingston was going to like pull a five star classic out of Baron Corbin, <laughs> but the thing they're pushing for between these two, it's like I have never bought Bull Dempsey as the guy that we are being sold. Never, ever. Yeah. Baron Corbin, like, I'm not enamored of him in the way they want me to be. But like, for how I feel about that guy, I believe he's that guy. Sure. Mm. Bull Dempsey, not really. Eddie Kingston, always 100%. <laughs> yeah. If this had been Eddie Kingston here, this could have been a really amazing program. And you would have really felt something in the build. And with Bull Dempsey, it just kind of like, not that it falls flat exactly, but because you're set up to kind of compare him. If you know Eddie Kingston, you're set up to compare Bull Dempsey. It is difficult not to imagine, you know, what could have been. We're almost done with this episode of NXT, but before we move on, it's time to award our Lawrence Bolivier Awards for commitment to the bit. Bob, who is the winner of your Lawrence Bolivier Award this episode? I mean... No, I do have to give it to Sammy. That was really good. He did such a good job at being perfect and amazing, which he always is capable of. I mean, look, I will not let myself give it to Sammy consecutively. That is my deal with myself. But this was very lovely, and I have to recognize that. First of all, Sammy, yes, I think this was like a great performance and an interesting choice, which is something Sammy excels at. For me, though, for commitment to the bit, I'm going to give it to Blue Pants. Yeah. Blue Pants sold the hell out of, like, what a big deal that win was, which means so much. I think that, like, we're always on the cusp of wins and losses not mattering in wrestling, which is one of those things that I think mm. you can feel like it's not important and let it slip, but then once you do, something has really been lost. It takes away such an important tool, and Blue Pants nailed it here with, like, this kind of glorified jobber beating, albeit a new kind of name wrestler in Carmella, and then just going and like exulting and like slapping hands with the fans and like just the sheer overflowing celebration of that was so important to putting over that angle. To me, that's the reason it's hers is because this segment really isn't anything if Blue Pants, who's not the in focus here, doesn't do her job and convey this is like, bizarre and exciting yeah it it was very fucking charming you're correct so that's one more episode of nxt and one more step in Sami Zayn's journey albeit a long distance step from montreal behind us now it's time to see if bob can predict the next big thing This episode, C.J. Parker was enlisted to break Baron Corbin's winning streak. So that option is now off the table. And I'm adding a new possible thing to your list, a next big thing. Your four options for this episode, including both the three carried over from last episode and the new one, are as follows. A championship match is so one-sided that it ends and the championship changes hands on a referee stoppage. Marcus Louis returns 
lurking like the Phantom of the Opera and apparently driven mad by losing his hair match. Baron Corbin gets pinned, but don't worry, there's interference, so he's still a big bad lone wolf. Or your new option, an indie star once again makes their debut by beating the shit out of CJ Parker. Well, I've forgotten what C is, but I felt good about it when you said it earlier, so I'm going with that. Baron Corbin gets pinned for the first time? You know what? Yes. All right. You've made your prediction. We'll find out next week whether you're correct. All that remains is to remind the listener that uh, they're not going to hear an old-fashioned Miles-style next wrestling fan closing here. Because we're going to deal with all of that stuff in a separate episode that is going to be available for everyone. Yes. But on our Patreon page this weekend. So go there and you're going to not only get plugs, not only get any like minutia that's going on this week that we can like record this week, you know, as opposed to these episodes, which are backlogged at least a little bit. You're also going to hear Bob and I discuss a subject related to this week's NXT episode. So... If you enjoyed watching Blue Pants snatch victory from the jaws of defeat, if you enjoyed a jobber making good, you're going to want to check out that bonus episode this weekend over on Patreon and hear a little something about another jobber from WWE history who famously made good. It's so amazing. It was a joy to introduce Bob to this. So you're going to want to go check that out. And hey, while you're over there, I know you're like, do I really want to subscribe to this Patreon? You know, I know we're going to redo it. Is there any point? My friend, 100% there is a point because 10 more Patreon supporters. I will fight a bag of chips with a spoon. It will be pathetic, but violent. I'm not going to go away without getting my chips. If you've ever seen like a raccoon fight some like packaging it's gonna be like that you don't want to miss this all right we're gonna be back in two weeks whenever i'm gonna describe another episode of nxt and this time i might get a point in the process all right yeah The NXT Wrestling Fan is produced by Lucas Brown, with logo design by Claire Mulcairin. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for his theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at incompetech.filmmusic.io. We're on Twitter and Facebook at The NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Chris on Twitter at Megadumbcast and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. The NXT Wrestling Fan is made possible thanks to our supporters on Patreon. If you'd like to help us out, go to patreon.com slash nxtwrestlingfan and join our fantastic stable of contributors. They're the best. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. No, you will actually, uh, you will understand Finn Balor's, like his background and his skills a lot better if you know that Finn Balor is a name he was given by WWE and uh, look up his previous work under his earlier name, Billy Elliot.
No. Um. No, see, the thing is that it works because for one goddamn second I was like, really? <laughs> <laughs> this is why it is so hard to tell me a joke. <laughs> it's like telling a joke to a dog. <laughs> I, I love you, Bob. It's super fun. It's, it's always a good time. You want to take that again? No, it's not worth it.